This podcast is made possible by the generosity of supporting members. Please visit dharmaocean.org to learn more about becoming a supporting member. You are listening to the Dharma Ocean Podcast. Here, Reggie introduces his teacher, Chogyam Trungpa. He offers a short account of Trungpa's journey from Tibet to England to North America and discusses how he transmitted the Vajrayana Buddhist teachings to his Western students. This excerpt is from a talk given in When Lightning Strikes, The Living Teachings of Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, a course produced by Sounds True. It is available for download in the dharmaocean.org online store. It's a great pleasure to be here and to have a chance to talk about this very unusual person, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. It's 25 years since he died And I think in a way, because he was so unusual and so controversial as a spiritual teacher and also so influential, that in a way we had to allow a lot of water to go under the bridge before we can step back and assess this individual. Chogim Trungpa was my personal teacher and also a person who opened up the whole world of Asia and the whole world of Asian religions and especially Buddhism in a way that had never happened for me before. I've been a scholar of Buddhism and Asian religions all my life, and meeting him uh, somehow things completely shifted and I I came away with a very different idea of why we might study Asia and why we might be interested in studying Buddhism. Rinpoche lived a long time ago and in many ways his life is dated. And if you read some of the books written about him, they seem to come from another time and place. But there was another part of him that was not dated. Uh, He, in a way, in his life, what was essential about him didn't really have to do with a particular time or a particular place or a particular culture. Like any great spiritual teacher, what he talked about were things that lie right at the root of our human questions, our human suffering, our human dilemma right now in this day and age. In this program, what I would like to do is talk to you a little bit about him, set some context and talk about his teachings, but really use him as a way to explore and investigate our situation at this moment in history. So we're talking about the old days, but we're not talking about the old days. We're talking about the new days, and we're talking about ourselves here. So I want to say a little bit about the impact of meeting Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche for me personally. I met him uh, in 1970, shortly after he came to this country, literally within a couple of weeks after he arrived in the United States. 
His own background was that he was born in Tibet in 1939, and in 1959, his Tibetan training was in some sense finished in the official sense. During the 20 years from 1939 to 1959, he had been recognized as an incarnate lama at the age of 18 months. He was brought to his monastery in East Tibet, that uh, the monastery that had belonged to his predecessor, and from the age of 18 months onward was brought up as an incarnate lama, and he went through the training and how to be with people, and uh, he studied, learned the Buddhist teachings, and most important for him, he spent a lot of time in meditation. When he came to the United States, all of these things were very helpful for him, but it was the training and meditation that really had the impact on all of us. In 1959, the, because of the Chinese invasion, he fled Tibet to India, and then he went to England. And between 1959 and 1970, he was in England learning about Western culture and trying to figure out if the training that he had received could be useful for modern people. Initially, he had an idea that it would be, but there were a lot of obstacles for him, which we'll talk about in the course of, the, of our six sessions. Uh, finally, in 1970, he landed in the United States. The impact of meeting him was very dramatic, I think, for me and for other people who met him, particularly in the early days in 1970, 1971. He had just been through a very, very difficult time in England, and he had, uh, he'd hit a wall personally. He felt that the traditional Buddhist teachings that he had received in Tibet, while very, very useful in the Tibetan context, were not going to work in the Western context the way he had received them. But he was the only one who thought so among the Tibetan community in England. And he began teaching in ways that were innovative. And he began opening the teachings up to his Western students holding nothing back. Now, you have to remember that his Western students were lay people. And in Tibet, the most secret teachings, the most advanced teachings, the teachings that really would lead to realization were reserved for a very small minority of Tibetan people, mostly people who were hermits living in caves and the elite among the monastic community. So for him to begin teaching in an open way to people, first of all, who were not ethnic Tibetans, um, secondly, didn't really know the Tibetan language or Tibetan culture, and thirdly, were lay people who had, uh, you know, ordinary jobs and families and very tied up with their lives in the world. This was regarded by many of Trungpa Rinpoche's compatriots as being really heresy. Well, you know, his deep inspiration was to share the depth of the Buddhist teachings with the people that he was now meeting in the West. And he carried on and he taught... But the end result was that he was thrown out of his own monastery that he had founded in Scotland by uh, ethnic uh, Tibetan sort of uh, mentality, and he was, he was exiled. And only because he happened to, uh, somebody sent him a plane ticket, did he even have the money to come to the United States 
and begin teaching. So I met him in 1970, and he was wild. And not wild in the sense of his behavior, but wild in the sense of his mind. He had seen so much hypocrisy and so much double-dealing, and he had been exposed to uh, so much aggression from his own friends, his own Tibetan friends, and even one of his closest friends wanted to destroy him uh, in England, tried to you know, ruin his reputation. He was, uh, he was uncompromising, shall we say, and his thing was, I'm here to teach the Dharma, I'm here to teach reality, I'm here to teach the full possibilities of human life, and if you want to work with me, wonderful. And uh, if you don't want to work with me, then, then go away, if you're not interested. So, you know, the message that he brought, it was not a completely unfamiliar one in our Western culture. Uh, many great poets, uh, many artists, many great writers over the course of our Western history, many great spiritual people, people of uh, uh, spiritual attainment, had spoken about a way of experiencing our lives that is very different from the normal conventional one. And in the late 60s, before Trung Rinpoche arrived, as many of you may know, there was a resurgence of interest in a different way of looking at things, a different way of experiencing our life. Many, many young people at that time felt that Western culture had hit a wall and that the values that were being promoted were superficial, that um, many of the best qualities of human life were being shunted aside and repressed and denied and uh, disparaged, and that we needed a fundamental change. That was the kind of culture, the youth culture of the 60s. And many of us, uh, as people do today, were reading the poets who showed a different way of living and reading the writers. So in some sense, in the culture of that time, there was a, an awareness that it's possible to experience human life from a much greater depth, that human life can be experienced as a blessing and a beatitude, that the human person can feel deeply aligned with the fundamental forces of the cosmos. Many of us went into the study of religion at that time. That's what I did. I went to graduate school to study about the great religious traditions. And really, you know, not purely for academic reasons at all. I was interested to know, you know, what's out there? What happened in the past? What do other cultures know about? So there was a lot of discussion in the 60s about all of these things. And, and yet, they weren't real. They were, they were ideas. They were memories. They were the insights of some lonely poet living 400 years ago. You must uh, try to imagine the impact of meeting somebody in Trungpa Rinpoche for whom those ideas were not imagination. They were actually his life. The impact of running into somebody who said, you don't need to just read about these things to feel better. You can change yourself through spiritual practice so that you live in the world 
that the poets are showing us or the great spiritual people of the past are showing us. When I first met him, I'd been a graduate student uh, for uh, several years, and I was studying with a very great teacher named Mircea Eliade, who talked about the, the, uh, the amazing world that what he called archaic people lived in. And when I met Chogyam Trungpa, after about five minutes, I was, it hit me that this man represented that so-called archaic world, and, for, and he was offering it to me. And it was, it was stunning. And after meeting him, uh, I didn't sleep for days. And I, I couldn't get my mind around it. I couldn't quite, it didn't fit into anything that I knew. But one thing I did know, I wanted to study with him. And I wanted to find out what he knew. And I wanted to inhabit the world that he clearly inhabited. So the, the context of this uh, you know, meeting of him was that he was a very uh, he was a very interesting person. He he did not have a single message that he taught to everybody. He wasn't like that at all. It's uh, the only analogy I can think of is in the history of Buddhism. It is said that the Buddha taught different people according to their capacities, according to their unique situation, according to what they could hear. And in the tradition, the stereotype tradition of Buddhism, it said the Buddha delivered 84,000 different teachings. And it's a metaphor saying that in order for each one of us to achieve realization, the teachings of realization and even the path need to be delivered to us in a way that uh, matches and mirrors and addresses our own unique situation. The interesting thing about Chogyam Trungpa is that was how he worked. And, for example, he taught uh, theater people. He taught his, the teachings that he had to give, he gave in the framework of theater or in the framework of other arts such as photography or poetry or prose writing or music. He taught in the framework of education and he presented the teachings as in the language of education, and he founded a school called Naropa Institute at that time where I taught, where education became the metaphor in the path. He taught psychologists who were doing therapy and psychiatrists, and he found a way to communicate with them the full depth of the Buddhist teachings so that for them that became a journey he taught healers. He taught business people. So he was very curious about the world and very curious about how everybody worked and very interested in how the, the, the full depth of Buddhist teachings could be communicated within the idiom and the context and the culture of d these different areas of modern life. His, his teaching of me, like his teaching of everybody else, I, I realize now was geared to my situation, geared to my interests, geared to my um, capabilities and what my life had been. At the time, I thought, and I think a lot of other people did too, I thought that, that what I was learning from him, everybody else was learning exactly the same thing. Um, I can't tell you why I thought that because in retrospect, uh, it doesn't, it, it was clear that that was not the case, but that's what I thought. 
And it's been interesting for me over the last 25 years to, you know, just, you know, talking to my friends and realizing that they came away with a very different transmission of the Dharma. Now, it's interesting, you know, we might say to ourselves, well, you know, there are all these different uh, approaches that Trung Rinpoche took, and he's often criticized as being too innovative, departing from the classical tradition too much, that uh, he was so flexible and so creative in a way in his work that there was no core value to what he was doing. And I want to address that in this uh, series of six programs. I think that there were, there is um, a, a set of core values that everywhere you look in the teaching that he gave to literally thousands of people over the course of his 17 years in North America, there is a set of both core values and perspectives and also practices that underlie the whole thing. And even though in many cases he didn't even use Buddhist language to communicate the teachings, that nevertheless they're all there. And I want to talk to you about that. Now, one important point is what you're going to get from me is my experience. You're going to get what I learned, um, the transmission that I received from him. But keep in mind that if you talk to, you know, if, if I think back, I mean, how many people were there who were with him through the whole 17 years and really received the full possibilities of working with him? I bet there were a couple of hundred people altogether. If you talk to those couple of hundred people, you're going to get a couple of hundred different uh, ways in which Rinpoche was experienced and ways in which those people are carrying forward what they learned from him, like me. So there's me and then there's maybe 199 other ways of going about it. But what I do think is that what I'm going to talk to you about, which is the sort of central teachings and the central impact of his life and the central importance of who he was for us as modern people, my guess is that you'll get a more or less the same version from in, maybe in different language and, and a different uh, you know frameworks from the other 199 people or however many there are. To download more of Reggie's teachings, find out about upcoming retreats, and to explore a variety of audio listening guides to assist you on your spiritual journey, please visit dharmaocean.org. Our music is by Jeff Beale and Nawang Ketchog from the album Tibet Cry of the Snow Lion. <laughs>